I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Hello everyone, it's Thrive Studio. Just a little bit of uh, groovy music for our two amazing educators tonight. Just have a listen. It's hot, hot, hot because they made the top hot educators list just recently. So I know they're going to be thoroughly embarrassed. <laughs> That's our new intro everywhere we go now. The music just follows us. Now I'm going to turn that off. Carrie Benedette here. Well, you're welcome to this evening. Um, in uh, we're saying hello to a, to a lockdown Victoria, and that's exactly where Stephen is. So hi, Stephen. Hello, hello. How are you? How are you? And good evening, Zena, Zena Challenge, as well. Um, to amazing younger educators than I am, um, and to start us off, yes, that's right. And to start us off, uh, we had the announcement this week of the passing of Sir Ken Robinson. So. I think everyone should raise their glasses in a small toast. And I don't usually do this, but a small toast. Come on, Stephen, where's yours? Beautiful. <laughs> to no Ken. Paper. To Ken. And um, I know that his YouTube clip um, is is the top-ranking YouTube clip around education. It has stood the test of time, an amazing educator. You just don't know how far your ripples go, do you, um, in, your, in your lifetime? Yep. So... Now, Thrive Studio, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. We're going to talk all things about education, education matters, and our focus this week, listeners, is around the virtual learning that has been happening during during the lockdown as well in the lead up to um, COVID. No one would have suspected that this was going to happen to us. What we've actually done around learning through other mediums, through technology, and we have two amazing experts here. So humour me, because I'm going to give you a bit of an introduction. Um, so don't go all red and, and blush, just take it as as, as professionals. So Zena, I'm going to start with the rose in the middle, Stephen, if that's all right with you. Um, for those of you who don't know of Zena's reputation, she's a learner experience designer, and she's also an international speaker. She has been awarded many um, acknowledgements of her gifts and talents. She's passionate about leadership, creativity, more passionate though about the learning access for, for students. And she's very interested in the next generation of creative, entrepreneurial and digital women, particularly STEM. Um, she's known for unleashing creative potential in all that she does. She believes that's her superpower. Zena is the co-founder of Aussie Ed, Lead, Maker Edu and Women Ed Australia. So welcome, Zena. Great to have you. Thank you. You're based in Sydney. No, no, no. Now, Stephen, the handsome gen on the end with the moustache, you, you can see him all there. Power. <laughs> I've been told it's a bit freddy. That's what I've been told, Stephen. So there's a little hint on that one. <laughs> Look, Sorry, Stephen is a proud <laughs> Stephen is proud public government school teacher uh, with a background in English history and additional languages for Year Ten. He's extremely um, passionate about teacher collaboration and he supports TeachMeets, running the Edu Reading, which is an online reading group, and being part of the Aussie Ed Twitter group, which has amazing reach and amazing participation. And one of his loves is taking teachers to Cambodia to run teacher development workshops with teachers across borders Australia. He uses technology for sharing ideas, developing teachers. He has a podcast, Teachers Educational Review podcast that you might look up, and also his own YouTube channel, Mr. Colber's Techniques, Teaching Techniques. He's especially interested in the future of education and the role of democracy 
within emerging technological futures. So I welcome both of you this evening and we're going to have a cracking conversation about what opportunities we have been uh, presented with that have been taken up around our students' learning, particularly through digital virtual means. So first question would be, what are we noticing about the learners that we're teaching? Just some, some insights into what you've been noticing. So over to you. We'd like to go first. To me, because we're, we're in what I like to call remote learning 3.0, because we've done it twice already, once half at school, the first time all at home, and now we're back at home full time. So uh, to me, the things I'm noticing aren't really learning related. Like I, I can probably do that more easily when we're face to face, but there's a lot more connection and collaboration happening while we're remote. So each lesson starts with, you know, kind of like a teasing question to prompt out how they're going, you know, easy questions, favorite food, uh, which one of these is better, all those sort of things. And so I'm learning a lot more about them, my students as human beings first. And so those those have been the biggest learnings for me rather than, you know, how well they can write essays, sentences or anything like that. Okay, that's really interesting because that's what I would call a human-centered approach first up. And they're your, they're your skills of learning about others. Uh, your awareness of your students and their different needs. And I suspect um, after talking to a few other uh, colleagues just recently, our, our listening has really tuned up when we're, when we're interacting virtually. And I think that's um, one of the most, I think that's a plus for, uh, for how we learn via technology. What about you, Zena? What are you noticing with your, with your beautiful students? So we're back in Sydney now and thankfully, fingers crossed, we're back at school face-to-face -face in COVID safe mode at school at the moment. But during the remote learning experience, I noticed that our children were highly adaptable. They were open to change. They were open to figuring things out. Um, you know, it was they were resilient in terms of, okay, this isn't working. How do I do this? How do I do that? They got better at actually listening, like you said, and actually um, taking ownership of their learning because nobody was there telling them they had to do it or where to be and where to go. Um, our students, and look, this isn't for all students, but on the whole, they um, they enjoyed taking ownership of their learning. They loved that it was self-paced and they could take their time. They weren't um, forced into, you know, the shackles of school routine and bells and things like that. However, a lot of our students were also lonely and they missed the social interaction of school. So they were craving the Google Meet, not for learning, because they were creating instructional videos and they were thorough and explicit and amazing, but they just wanted to have that banter. They missed their teacher's jokes, those little side conversations that you don't schedule a timetable in. So that human interaction really came to the front. I think teachers, parents and students, we all took it for granted. So for us, that human interaction um, was really highlighted and that that need for um, that incidental conversation and banter that makes school life so joyful. I think <laughs> our kids really miss that. Well, um, our series is about uh, thriving and how we do thrive um, during our during the pandemic and then all the um, repercussions of that and how how it's it, it's it is extending out. So Stephen, I know that in Victoria, it's the second um, ISO situation that you've had and um, there would be a lot of strains on, on people. Perhaps we've learnt a little bit from the first time um, that we've, we've had to, um, to uh, continue to teach from home uh, for, for teachers, but also for students. And a lot of people did call it, you know, homeschooling, a whole lot of variety of terms, and I don't think that applies. I think it's it's uh, learning through virtual means. Um, I don't know if you have a particular term that you think is is the better um, way to describe using using uh, technology to help us learn. Um, but I also want to um, interested in what your uh, students are giving you back as indication that they enjoyed the learning. So I'm wondering if you've got anything, because you're, you're teaching secondary, yeah? Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know, in terms of uh, something to frame it as or a title for it, I don't know, I'd just take Xena's lead, you know. As long as you're putting it in inverted commas, you're, you're on the right track, I guess. Mm. Um, you know, I do a fair bit of writing about this sort of stuff and, yeah, it's like crisis learning, remote learning, always in inverted commas, you know. Uh, it's not distance learning, it's not learning from home, it's not homeschooling. Uh, it's very much a teacher-led thing that we're doing. Uh, so I don't know. The nomenclature doesn't really worry me too much, but uh, it is a very difficult thing to do. And I think uh, a lot of what I've been doing is trying to bring the theory to kind of double check that what I've been doing is sort of not only working for the students, but also kind of consistent because there's a lot of universities and other people that have been doing this sort of stuff for a lot longer than us. Yeah. So we're all kind of just dabbling in it as we go. In terms of feedback from the students, um, like, to me, it's like it's a it's a natural experiment. If you said to students, as Zena said about the bells and the timetables, all those have pretty much gone. I mean, you can say, well, you know, the class starts at 10, 13 and 11, 27 or whatever it is. But, um, you know, in real life from home, there's no one hurrying them to class or telling mm. them that they're late. Um, it's often the sort of thing where you need to kind of, you know, someone needs to be like, oh, the, the class is technically finished and you bring quite an abrupt stop to what's quite an interesting discussion or whatever it is. And it seems all the more forced and strange. Um, to, to me, like students actually turning up is the big one and then cameras on is the other big one. Um, I mean, especially TV mm. online, it's easy to turn up with your camera off and your microphone off and... Just last night, I was doing that, doing the dishes, you know, in a in a um, in an online call, and you know, perhaps I don't know if my students are doing their their dishes, but they're probably uh, if I can't see them, there's a pretty good chance they're you know playing Xbox or doing something like that, and so it's pretty much just yeah participation, engagement, and actually seeing their faces if they're comfortable doing that as well is is how you know you're doing a good job. Yeah, well, you've probably got some um, interesting comments back from them as well. Um, but Zena, what about you? Um, uh, we aren't, we, Sydney, uh, New South Wales is not in the same situation Victoria is again. Um, so what, is it, is it, is it back to, to normal um, or are there some changes that you've kept in place at the moment? And, um, to help Steve define what that learning was, I always say it was emergency response to remote teaching and learning. Um, we'd like to say that we had brilliant, you know, online design principles and a great blended learning approach, but it was an emergency response to a situation that we didn't have much time to. In terms of um, school life for us, I mean, my school's known for singing. We're the school that sings and the latest restrictions telling us we can't sing um, has really brought our spirits down. I mean, um, emerging advice is coming out every day and we're rolling with it. But, you know, school sports have been cancelled, festivals, uh, PYP exhibition, co-curricular, so many things that we just take for granted. And the things that, you know, that break up the monotony of a school day like the excursions and the visitors and the going off site, all those things that, you know, brought joy to our students and, you know, diversity to our teachers, they've all been cancelled or postponed or yeah. they've moved to online. And like, there's only so many Zoom calls you can do to get the richness of conversation and experience. I um, I run a lot of STEM workshops and programs for girls and, and the highlight of the programs is going off site to real workplaces. You know, hearing from the mentor behind the screen just doesn't cut it for them. So yeah. we're all grieving a sense of loss. We miss the way things work. Um, I think there's a lot of time and we're focusing on the essentials, but there's just, there's, there's a miss. We're missing something in our schools and we're trying really hard to create these experiences and gatherings in different ways. But I, I feel like there's just a sense of loss amongst us all at the moment. Mm. And if we were to um, to tip that upside down, to flip it, so to speak, um, what what would is there one takeout that you you think has been a benefit from COVID and the response that we've we've put forward? Is there something that you consider a benefit? I think, from my point of view, that um, sense of community. 
I don't think it's ever been this strong. I think we just take for granted all the school events and functions and celebrations. And even for the kids, there's this and that, and we're, we're overscheduled and running from place to place. I think we've really um, noticed that those gatherings, those connections, those celebrations, they're the things that bring us together. And unless you create those opportunities, you don't have a chance to connect. And I think that connection um, is so important for well-being as well. I think that's what we've noticed. Mm. We just took for granted that mm. well-being was something that was taken care of. And now we're like, hang on, we really need to stop and engage with how our kids are feeling, how our staff are feeling. How can we keep that heartbeat of the school going outside of the academic? Because we know that. We can do that. It's the other stuff for us that... Um, and look, we found ways to do this, but like I said, I think everyone's got a stronger sense of gratefulness for that. And a togetherness, you know, we're stronger together, we're better together. That's, I mean, it's been said over and over, but when you look everywhere else and you say, you know what, we're in this together, we can get through this. Um, I think that's been a huge benefit for us. Mm-hmm. Um, our well-being is is the crunch, isn't it? To me, it, um, if we have the well-being right, the learning um, comes with it. You, you, you're more. Um, we're going to notice our students being involved more if all other aspects of their life are, are doing as well as possible. Yeah, because school, school can be a safe place from refuge. Um, it can also be the opposite for for some of our students, depending on what the experience of um, social networks are, etc. But on the whole, it's it's something that most of our our kids throw themselves into and our teachers do and there's always a function or an event um, for for difference you know for for that whole range of different interests so what what about you Stephen what are you what are you noticing as something that we could say has been an advantage of working through all this yeah to me the, the benefits are definitely basically within the teachers themselves so you know educators like we are um yep. i think i personally i spend too much time talking about people at the policy level and you know you can see that policy might not necessarily change dramatically quickly around you know well maybe we shouldn't have exams ever again or anything i mean you know i might pretend that i'm with those people um but to <laughs> me the changes are already have already occurred and are continuing to occur with the teachers um in the sense that you know, post, well, in my case, once we go back to face-to-face, hopefully in term four or whenever, um, I just can't imagine feeling that same stress of, okay, all this curriculum needs doing uh, and the students, you know, I'm going to keep the students behind and make sure they catch up and, you know, all those kind of like, I think we've been emphasising the wrong thing for too long. And so for me personally, I just can't imagine doing that um, from now on, you know, once I've had because almost certainly I will know the students that I've taught this year probably, you know, to fourth, fourfold or tenfold more than students face-to-face just because the focus is always, okay, yeah. test scores, assessment, timelines, all those things. Um, I could tell you like a list of, you know, 80 to 100 things about each of my students in my class because we have had the time and the space to take some pressure off and to, you know, at the policy level for people to say, it's not that important that all this work gets done by this date. Make sure the kids are okay. Make sure the well-being is where it needs to be. They feel connected, and whenever possible, get them into groups talking to one another. Because, you know, if you're if you're that one kid who's not in the WhatsApp group or the who knows whatever app it is, if you're not in that group, then, <laughs> yeah, then you're maybe not talking to anyone until your teacher forces you to, or you know, has a one-to-one with you. So, and that's to me, been- it's all with it. And that's been a major concern, hasn't it, for for, for all educators? It's it's the care of their students and uh, where their mental, where their emotional um, well-being is at, um, their their physical. Because we we have quite diverse families, we have diverse access to um, to resources, and the same would be said for 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 learning virtually. Not every student would have access to um, the internet all the time, especially when we've got both parents working at home, we've got other siblings there. So there's a huge juggle going on. A lot of those social emotional skills that we talk about that are so important, they're actually coming to the fore now. And, um, you know, I um, I listened to a podcast um, today actually and they it was uh, very interesting about 
um, no longer do we call these um, soft skills. They are essential skills. Essential skills. And I think I think we've got to actually make make a change to our language. Um, World Economic Forum projected, you know, the the, the ten most uh, desired qualities for work work um, in 2020 and beyond. And emotional intelligence comes in around number six. Now it started to creep up because everywhere you look, it's talking about what's the relational aspect. How do you know yourself? How do you know others? How can you manage under stress, fight or flight? How do you manage in difficult with difficult personalities? How do you work in a team? Um, all that sort of thing. So even when we're doing the online conversations, I still have to be able to read your body language, look, listen to how you're saying things, phrasing things. I can look at your response and participation rate. Um, so the same mm -hmm. happens for our students and um, their psychological safety is, is critical for, for their learning. So, so big question then, if we could throw something away or disregard it and go, actually, we don't need any more, do you have any on your top, top of your list? Do you have anything that you'd like to, to tempt us with just to think a little bit more broadly outside of the square? Well, from my point of view, we didn't have NAPLAN this year and I don't feel like it's made any difference to our students' learning outcomes or our drive to improve their learning. Um, there's been no anxiety or stress around it. So I think first and foremost, keep NAPLAN off the table, give us space for essential learning that we know is critical for our students. That's my top number one. Uh-huh. Great one. <laughs> so what about you, Stephen? Very topical. Um, yeah, I'd go NAPLAN as well. Let's let's do the easy ones. Um, no, to me it's uh if I think my my big thing is just teacher time. So uh we're above the OECD average across all PISA countries for time in class. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would, I think it's time that we admit that the amount of time in class doesn't equal the student outcomes uh, and that if we had more time to actually do the more complicated work, coach our colleagues, uh, allow the students to do passion projects, to do a whole range of things, to display the kind of self-determination that they have at the moment where they, they're required to go out and do something and actually apply it maybe entrepreneurialism, who knows, um, a whole range of things to get the students actually doing. Uh, and then that would free up some time. And it's not going to cost a, you know any more money because you're just saying that the teachers are in the classroom for a little bit less and allowing the students some time at school to do a little bit more. So, mm. you know, NAPLAN, give teachers more time to be amazing. We know that Australian teachers are among the best in the world, but our results continue to not be. And so the way you empower great educators is you give them time and space to do the types of things that Z and I get up to, which is getting teachers together to collaborate on ideas. And that's, um, I mean, that, that's really interesting, isn't it? We, we, we Every organisation, every business, family, you name it, has to have some accountability. So education is no different. It's, it's highly funded um, from government. Um, parents are highly invested in it for a certain choice of schooling that, that, that they want. Um, so the accountability then, if, if we didn't have NAPLAN, so we didn't have a HSE perhaps, um, you know, how could, how could our policymakers, how could our parents, how could our, our leadership teams be confident that the kids are achieving? a really good question and one that we get asked a lot. I think mm. there's a number of things to consider here. First of all, you know, when we measure success, who defines success, who places the value on success and are we collectively deciding on what success looks like? Like does a band three, four or five actually tell me what this child's academic growth, social and emotional and their passion, their interests, does it tell me anything about them as a learner or does it just scale them? and place them and rank them. Um, the other thing as well was like, you know, with NAPLAN, they rank the schools, but the context plays very little part in that. And, you know, by the time it gets reduced to the media and to the parents, it's just a number on a ladder, not really giving much context to the diversity of the schools and, you know, what is actually happening in there in terms of learning. So in terms of that, I'd like to flip it and 
redefine what we think is success and what accountability looks like and negotiate that together with the parents and all key stakeholders. Let me, let, let's us decide together what shows accountability. Um, let's hear from the students themselves as well. We have a lot of measures in place and I think we get piled on, piled on with ticking boxes that we don't truly try to lighten what we are doing. In terms of the HSC and the ATAR, well, you know, with all the disruption to tertiary, I don't even know if it's going to be that important. If you have a look at um, all the skills that are needed in the future workplace, a university degree is at the top of the list. Lived experience, um, an entrepreneurial mindset, creativity, problem solving, passion. I just read a report from Deloitte about passionate learners and it was mm. about staff motivating. They don't know how to spark um, passion in their learners to keep learning and continuously learn. So I just mm. think we have that in our kids. How can we nurture that? How can we bottle that? How can we send mm. them out in the real world with that rather than get them to fit into scales and scores that are redundant? So I think universities um, and that mm. postgraduate pathways, I think they need to be disrupted to the point where, you know, employees, employers and schools have a different pipeline and a different vision for how our students can show what they can do and how we get them to pursue their interests and talents rather than just get a number on a certificate that nobody looks at a few years into your career. So I think we need to redefine what success is. And I think that comes from within, um, you know, when remote learning took place and teachers had to change their practice in three days, nobody threw extra money at us. No one gave us extra time and space and resources. We tapped into the collective wisdom of our profession. And I think we need to take that back and keep that power um, and leverage it now to do something different and just reimagine schooling altogether. Hmm. Much a talk. <laughs> well, well, you're talking about some autonomy in decision making at local levels there, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I'm I'm hearing from a lot of um, educators is that they really enjoy making the decisions at local level because it's your particular context. You know your own students um, well. You know, uh, you start moving it out into administration levels, um, and you're they're making blanket um, uh, decisions, and not necessarily for the context. So, what about you, Stephen? Any thoughts on? Um... Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like they said, you kind of. I like the whole stakeholders. To be honest, like what we're what we're doing at the moment is all of the teachers will have to provide a statement saying how disadvantaged the students were by remote learning. And that, to me, the teachers hold the knowledge about these students and at a high school in their last year, like, you know, they they have six, seven, eight, ten teachers that they're, you know, exposed to, working with, whatever you want to call it. So there's a, a real incredible bank of knowledge established over their careers at school of people that know them very well and know what they might be able to do what they might not be able to do um there's a he's now at melbourne uni yong zhao wrote a book uh about side effects in education and the question is always do you value what you measure and what you measure you value so we're ranking students if you want learning to be a competition i, I can't think of any other case where um, I'm trying to learn something and the, it's motivating for me to see someone else failing or doing better than me to think, well, this is is really helping me learn. Um, it's very much an internal process. Uh, mm. And so, you know, as soon as you start ranking people, if that's the way you want your society, society to be run, then that's the way to do it. But if you want to make it a bit more human-centred, as you said, to pull a phrase from you, then... I guess you need to involve humans in the process and that's hard to streamline, that's hard to turn into a policy, but we've got some of the best humans around working on it. We have. Maybe their ideas. Hmm. And it's um it's really interesting, isn't it, about what uh, what we all see as important, whether we, we like the ranks ranking scales. To me, um, uh, I listened um, to what Adam Voigt was saying um, uh, two weeks ago, I think, uh, he and Tracy Azab were on. And, um, you know, one of his observations were, he said, um, there's what's, what the virtual learning has done has removed competition between students looking at each other's work. And so that means that they're doing work without going, I can't do as well as, you know, 
uh, you know, Mary next door to me or Muhammad over here or, um, and he said that that bit of um, comparison that would happen in the classroom has been removed because they're doing it by themselves. And he, he was saying that he thought that was one of the great pluses, the great advantages of kids working to their own and, you know, the, the experiential learning and the investigative work that they're doing on all their assignments. They're enjoying their learning. And th then we talked a little bit about introverts and extroverts and how they're coping. And there's, there's quite mixed um, comment about our extroverted students who actually aren't liking being isolated. They don't have the others, to, other kids to, to bounce off, um, physic, you know, just um, fairly close by. But our introverts have quite enjoyed it. So I don't know if you've got any thoughts, thoughts on those comments. Well, um, interesting you'd say about kids not copying from each other. Um, my nephew discovered theory for school during remote learning. And um, he finished all his schoolwork within the first hour or so. And his <laughs> mum was just backwards. Like he was using his iPad or he was iMessaging me problems. And I was, I won't lie, I was doing them for him. So um, we had a big conversation about who's doing the learning. And, you know, some kids yes. were left to their devices. I know a lot of our parents, you know, really stepped into the homeschool mom status and took leadership over that. Um, but the way I see it, you know, it strengthens the partnership between home and school. So in whatever context it took place, there was a conversation in that child's learning that would normally not happen um, during the day. We um, surveyed our students what they liked and didn't like about remote learning. And a lot of our students um, said that they liked that they had a bit of input with their teacher, that they weren't distracted by others, that they mm -hmm. could work at their own pace. They loved um you know, obviously context is everything, but ours loved having their pets around so they could have a little interaction. A lot of ours loved having lunch with their family and, you know, seeing and hearing their mum in action. Like, you know, they know what their parents do, but they don't actually see their parents in those roles. Um, some of them said that they love, um, you know, not rushing and having to answer that question of what did you learn today because they were learning it together. Um, we had a few um, wellbeing challenges we, that we ran the Keep World Challenge, and we had them as a family where the students could share what they wanted to share with us through Flipgrid or Padlet. So they loved seeing what other people were doing with their families, what their spaces looked like. And granted, it's not for every child. There were some kids that um, we had to follow up on and go, hey, are you okay? They were okay. They just weren't utilizing all of the social platforms. Um, but in saying that, our teachers were contacting the students once a week and engaging with the families. And on a whole, they just loved the home life blended approach to living and not being stuck in traffic, all these things that we as adults struggle with, the pressure was taken off our kids. So um, they were, yeah, they gave us a lot of insight and made us rethink about what we can do more or less of. Although I know Stephen, you're in high school, with us um, in our high school, we did have a lot of, the kids all had a lot of autonomy over their learning, but with us, the number one thing obviously was supervision for our younger kids. Um, kids need supervision. We can't have that blended learning approach, a little bit at school, a little bit online. We had some parents ask us if we could just sit on a Google Meet all day to watch the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, no. Because, because they're trying to work at home, yeah? And look, that's the reality. No one has a playbook on how to do this, right? Like in our high yeah. school, yeah. we had synchronous and asynchronous learning and the teachers were popping in and out. You know, you've got a kid that's five or six the parent had to parent. They had to do that and somehow be a criminal lawyer at the same time. So we got a lot of insight about our community, but, you know, we adapted and we learn and, got, you know, God willing, we don't need to have remote learning phase two, but we have some things in place now, an idea of what they um, what they went through. Yeah, yeah. So for you as professionals, and for the teachers that you work with, because you're both highly involved in organising, um, making sure that your teachers um, are feeling confident in any new decisions or directions that you, you're going. Um, what have you found to be uh, some professional development perhaps um, that surprised you in how successful it was for your teachers in being able to 
maintain their professionalism, still um, maintain a sense of order within their own life and their own wellbeing, and also be available to their students. For me, it's kind of like um, what I noticed anyway at a school level was kind of that the the leadership model that we normally have, which is quite distributed, distributive and democratic, it became a little bit more dictatorial just because uh -huh. um, the leadership structure needed, things needed to be done very quickly. You know, okay, we're going to remote learning in two days. You can't really, uh, you know, have a panel discussion, ask the kids, you just need to do it. Um, and so in my experience, what what resulted was a lot of kind of us sort of middle leaders in in schools and outside of schools just sharing our experience and sharing our learning and a lot of that happened online of course because that's where else would it happen you can't go anywhere um, yes. so, um, yeah so to me uh, we kind of we'd always done, well that's it we'd always done um teach meets which is a very informal professional learning teachers stand up and talk for seven minutes or eight minutes or a very short amount of time and, you know, we, we typically did that in Melbourne. You know, there was 10, 15, 20, 30 people, very small. Uh, and then we kind of had one planned that was going to happen. And so we decided, like what we're doing right now, we could do it online. And so we went from having, you know, 10 to 30 people to like 600, 700 people have watched the things that um, we put together. And it's it's not like polished. It's not shiny. It's, you know, we, we don't even use a cost, a four cost platform. So we just sort of did that um, and kind of the second thing I do is edu reading. So the academic reading group, we've always done that online so that people from around the world can participate. And now mm. that just seems like such a good idea when at the time, of like, you know, oh, we'll use technology, that'll be cute. You know, we'll just show off that we can use technology. <laughs> and all of a sudden it seems like, well, that's what everyone has to do now. And um, mm. So to me, those were two things that really jumped out. Obviously, um, those are just relatively new initiatives, uh, but, you know, they both fit pretty well into the working from home system that some of us have to be in. And look, it's possible that this uh, will continue for, for a significant amount of time. Um, uh, so that's why the question, you know, what is it that we might let go of? Um, is, is an important one, I, I believe. And what is it uh, that we can perhaps amplify? We could we can we can tune up, you know, take the car in for for an oil and grease. Well, how can we take education in for for an oil and grease as well? Um, and make sure that you know it's um, it's it's an excellent oil and grease. It's not just something that's just bits and pieces put together in the hope. But what is it that we've learned? So we've, we've, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It's a pain in the butt um, in a lot of cases. But we do have to look back just a little bit to help us move forward. Mm, yeah. um, be, be in the moment, noticing what it is that's the response from our students and our teachers, because they're our core, they're the core business. Um, mm -hmm. And then what is it that's going to uh, stand the test of time, perhaps, for, say, another two to three years? Because this is really um, an educational response to a health crisis. That's what I believe this is. This has been all about, and how we've gone about it. And luckily, we've had access to IT that's enabled us to still connect um, and and still be able to have six hundred people on a teach meet. That's amazing, Stephen, because you can now see the the need, the desire. The, even if we put it as basic as people just want to connect and see other teachers, even if we did that, um, it shows that we do want to be belong to a community and uh, keep keep that that passion and love and why we got into teaching in the first place. So you know, throwing throwing out something is is not a bad thing to do. You know, we all have to live with change. It happens every day. Your days are changing minute by minute, depending on whether a new directive comes out, whether there's, a, a, you know, a, someone that needs particular attention, whether there's a change to something or other, your own health gets, um, you know, may, may be affecting it. So we live with change all the time. So we have to make change now for how we deliver education um, so that our students will still continue to benefit. So 
any thoughts on that and what we what we could throw out would be would be pretty amazing. We've talked a little bit about the NAPLAN and um, NAPLAN tests, some of the testing, but is there something else we could get rid of? Um, and I, I'm happy to be be the the um, the trigger here. I'd say a whole lot of the admin roles that you do um, that take you away from the teaching and the create the creating of of the the learning design that encapsulates and motivates your kids because we want we want we want kids that are lifelong learners. I think from my perspective, um, and you know, like with Aussie Ed, we were watching what's happening in other parts of the world, and we were watching closely. There was no talk of remote learning, or COVID was this thing that was happening in China or in Hong Kong. Even on the news, there wasn't conversations about get ready. Um, so for us, we were on Twitter seeing things happening and thinking, hang on, it's you know, this happens to us. What are we going to do? How we get going? This feels like calm, you know, before the storm as well. Like, so we were having conversations, there was little whisperings, we were connecting with our global um, colleagues saying, what are you doing? What's working? What hasn't? By the time it hit us, it was three months in for some people. So although for a lot of um, school leaders who are not online or not connecting with their global professional learning network, it was quite foreign to them. They didn't know what was happening. Whereas I feel like, and look, I can speak to the Aussie Ed tribe and people that are in our global PLN. We, we knew what was on the horizon. In the back of the minds, we were like, okay, this, like, this could work for us or this could go against us. We were kind of doing little audits in the back of our mind of, you know, almost a contingency plan of what would we do first? How would we respond? How would we react? And I know in my context, um, we had about a week before we went into lockdown and I had it mapped out in my head already based on learnings from other people shared with us online. Yeah. So um, when you look at, you know, professional learning, for me, the big thing in school and a lot of the times at school it's dictated or it's organised or it's scheduled or it's, um, you know, flat and not differentiated, with all the rapid upskilling and all the, you know, teacher-centred professional learning that took place in response to emergency remote teaching, it really shone a light on, you know, teachers as life learners and continuous learners. And it just really made me rethink the whole professional learning model that's quite archaic in schools. You know, like who has to learn at a 3.30 meeting every Wednesday? Why that's is that right. the time that we have? Why is briefing at 8 o'clock? Why can't there'd be a, you know, a quicker and more efficient way than once a week to share that information. So it just made me think big picture in terms of you know, how much trust and confidence we actually have in our teachers and you know, yeah. um, giving them autonomy and space to actually direct their own professional learning, full well knowing that it feeds into a shared vision and that it has a direct impact on student learning. Um, you know, they say change management takes five years. Strong sense of urgency with COVID has showed us you know, when you want to change things, you can change them today. And with the collective wisdom of the group, you can all feed into that shared purpose. It doesn't have to come from a five-year strategy plan. You know, it comes from within. I think for me, if we can hold on to that teacher voice and that teacher agency and take that forward, I think we can truly transform our schools. But if we don't, I think it's actually going to be quite depressing for our teachers. They're going to miss that and they're going to find it hard to go back into those old routines. So how do we capture that and build on that is, um, you know, what I hope to see, but also the challenge for school leaders and school systems. Well, le leadership isn't about hierarchy, is it? It's it's about um, what being being in, getting in and dirty with your people, just making uh, distributing the the uh, the uh, responsibility for for all of us, so that we all can step forward. I'm interested in. Um, Aussie, Aussie Ed, and how many how many people would you have on most weekends? Because it's a Sunday night, isn't it, on Twitter? Yeah. yeah. So would you like, yeah. like to tell, yeah? Just why don't you tell the listeners what 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 what's involved? Because Stephen, you're involved as well, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm the Johnny come lately. <laughs> Z's sort of been there since day dot, so she's much more capable of speaking it to speaking to it than me. No, I still love to hear your thoughts. So, like, we, we've been around for seven years, but we've brought on some great new leaders on board as well just to, you know, spread the good stuff. Um, go on, Stephen, you do it. I want to, hear, I want to see how you go with this. <laughs> All right, I'll give it a go. I'll, just say, I'll, I'll, I'll direct you as you go along. <laughs> <laughs> Probably up cars in the background. 
mentioned mm -hmm. this and no. um yeah so they we've just celebrated our 300th chat it's been going forever um an aussie institution i just finished reading an academic article where it was listed alongside hashtag teaching and hashtag education like it is well done. Um, for australian teachers but for global teachers uh and again i read a lot sorry about that uh, just before we started here i was reading an article about Twitter and uh, academics saying that it's, you know, it's very sort of tribe based in a bad way. You know, people are having arguments, but they're not having debates. Um, and, you know, I actually contacted one of the academics involved and said, come pass on a Sunday night. Uh, <laughs> nothing like consensus, nothing like agreement. Um, there are people that turn up every week and have really robust discussions about things that uh, the majority of educators aren't even thinking about. Like um, last Sunday was voice assistant, so your Alexas, your Googles, your Siri's. Um, that's like for most educators that I'm, you know, dealing with on a daily basis, PDing, all those sort of things. That's something they would never have even thought about. They'll probably be thinking, well, in 10 years' time, maybe once we've got robots and hoverboards, we'll talk about it. We're already having those discussions now, and we're really exploring kind of not only the cutting edge, but kind of the authentic experiences of educators and disagreeing and doing what should be happening in schools, which is debates, discussion, and, you know, rigorous discussion of very challenging and interesting ideas. Well, pretty. That's it. He did well, didn't he? He's an Aussie ambassador for life. He did well because. Go ahead. When you asked about how many users, when we started, we used to track. The tweets and the conversation and we used to collect every chat but like steve said it's become such a global 24 7 hashtag even if we try to capture the conversation within one hour on the sunday you won't just get the conversation it's just the hashtag now that's used for any reference to australian education so we've stopped capturing that but i think you know i think it's in excess of fourteen thousand individual users per month that access the hashtag so any time of the day you jump on yeah. and look up the hat you know granted there's promos and you know but you become really popular when the porn industry starts using your hashtag on twitter <laughs> but um <laughs> it's really <laughs> a global professional learning and it's organic you know we don't do any sponsored posts we don't yeah. schedule at certain hours we're not playing the twitter game it's literally people online gathering around a conversation or a topic or a debate you know, or sometimes it's a GIF or a meme, to regard, you know, there's always a, some sort of conversation from educators for educators. And that's, that's just the very heart of what we do at Aussie Ed. Well, I think it's a way for, um, for young teachers, uh, for experienced teachers to actually listen to each other, to listen to more than their own point of view. Because the story that you tell in your head you start to believe is the truth, the ultimate truth, right? And if you don't, if you don't extend that, if you don't get that challenged, um, well then that's not lifelong learning. That's not not continually being curious and wondering about what another truth could be, what what another possible answer or possible solution could be. So I think what you did came out of a need at the time for where you were in your own professional um, leadership. And now for having that many people on, I think it's absolutely amazing. So congratulate, congratulations. I think it's wonderful. And to be able to um, also encourage others to follow after you so, so that you've got a mentoring system in place, right? You've got, you've got a leadership um, structure basically. Um, and it, it will morph, it will morph um, to the need, I think. Yeah, so well done you. I'm just looking at the clock and it's time for you to, uh, actually rest your body, get horizontal. I'm very big on making sure that that um, those hours of sleep that we've all been recommended, that we actually do try to get some of those. So I'm going to thank you both um, for being on the line tonight. If any of our listeners would like to uh, have another conversation with you, Stephen, what's your best contact? What would you like? The Twitter address given out? What would you like? I don't know. If, if you Google Stephen Colbert, you spell it K-O-L-B-E-R or come up and not the famous talk show host. Um, yeah, you know, we're, I'm on everything, you know, as as you have to do in this modern world. But yeah, on Twitter, I'm not Stephen Are you on Twitter? Huh? 
I haven't seen your Pinterest board yet. Are you on Pinterest? Oh, oh. on Pinterest. So it's, it's Steve and S-T-E-V-E-N-K-O-L-B-E-R. And Zena, the same for you, Zena. Um, they can just, just Google me. I'll just go Zena. Just go Z. Just Z. Just look up Z. Honestly, like you can email me, but it'll, it'll, you'll get a reply in two weeks. Saying, <laughs> sorry for the delay. Um, if you tweet me, you'll probably get a response in 48 hours. Um, if you call me, I'll answer straight away, but I don't give out my number that often. <laughs> <laughs> so Zena is uh, Z-E-I-N-A. And challenge C H A L I C H. Okay, so on on all medias, but go for the Twitter. Go for Twitter. Have a go at Twitter. And look, if you would like, and if you would like to know more about what I do, CarrieBenedet.com. Uh, once again, you'll find me for a girl that never liked having a photo taken of herself as she was growing up. She's now very, very okay with having it splattered around everywhere. So we're really talking about what it is in education that matters. Uh, Thriving Matters Studio has a whole series on education and what we're learning through being um, involved in isolated education, in distance education, in virtual education. But we're really looking at the well-being of all our stakeholders, our students, our teachers, our parents, and uh, our listeners. All you all have an opinion about what education should look like. So. Get on board. Uh, next Tuesday night, we will have um, more education experts. We've got principal from Ambervale um, High School, Louise Barnott-Clement and Annette Gray, uh, Australia's leading solution-focused coach. Um, and she happened to be my first coach ever. So I'm a big believer in the coaching. So we should have another chat about that. And perhaps that's an Aussie Ed night. Zena. Absolutely. We'd love to have you on, Carrie. You just tell us all night you're free and we'll, we'd will we love yeah. to have you on. I, you know, Carrie, from another life as well, I learned about emotional intelligence by unpacking my um report with Carrie, so she knows me quite well. 360, she's a brave girl. And I would say, I would say in hindsight, when I did mine, it was the best thing I had ever done. I learned so much about me mm-hmm. and and now others. And you don't ceiling EI, you just keep you just keep applying it. So I've got to thank you so much. It's way over over time. So thank you both, Stephen. It's such a pleasure to meet you tonight. I hope to see you around. We'll probably see each other on, on something. So you stay safe. Um, our thoughts are with you in Victoria. Please say stay, uh, stay safe. Stay Zena, home. Stay home. <laughs> and uh, Zena, always wonderful. Thank you for your generosity. Once again, you're a you're busy girl. Thank you, and I'll follow up a time with you for us yet. We'd love to have you. Okay. Well, over to Bye. you. Um, and we'll just go, you know, it's been a hot, hot, hot night. These are two of Australia's leading leading educators. They made the, the, the hot list. Uh, 75 leading and I was so proud to say I actually knew some some educators on the list so bye for now everybody (laughs) see you next time (laughs) bye I'm Carrie Benedett and this is my podcast Thriving Matters 